We find our text as mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Let us read those words together. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ, the section on the Beatitudes, this is the final uh, combination of Beatitudes, verses 10 through 12. Hear now God's word, our text, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So far, the reading of our text After the proclamation of God's word, we'll sing in response from hymn 35, hymn 35, all the stanzas. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Beatitudes provide a spiritual portrait of every child of God. They do not describe for us eight different kinds of Christians, one per beatitude. They are not a series of multiple choices where you can circle however many you like and not circle the ones you don't like, as if to say, sure, I'll be meek, I'll be merciful, but I'm not really interested in being persecuted or reviled. No, all the Beatitudes stand or fall together. They're a package deal. And there's also a progression in the Beatitudes. By that I mean they all lead up to the last one as a climax. For it receives extended treatment, first of all, and secondly, even receives Repetition, blessed are those who are persecuted, and blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And notice even something else. This last beatitude is the only one that is put in the second person, second person language. It's not framed in the same way as all the others before which say, blessed is this kind of person or that kind of person. But this one says, blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted. This last beatitude receives special emphasis because it is so important. You cannot escape it. Indeed, it is striking that here, at the outset of Christ's public ministry, Christ is not sugarcoating or soft-pedaling the demands upon his followers. He's not interested in followers who want Christianity light and easy. 
He explains to his followers that if you live according to the Beatitudes, this is how it's going to be in the world for you. The world is just going to love you, be head over heels for you, be swept off of their feet for you, and welcome you with open arms. No. Instead, he says, you will be persecuted. Well, that seems deflating and and discouraging. No. That's counterintuitive, and it will take the wind out of the sails of Christ's followers. Surely, no. Certainly, no beatitude seems as, as contradictory as this one, which according to the wisdom of the world really makes no sense whatsoever. But this is how you are considered blessed if you are persecuted, mocked, scorned, and the object of of derision and aggression. This is the way of blessing, Christ says. It's not hard to understand what Jesus is saying here, but it is difficult for us to live it. It forces us to examine ourselves deeply. If this is who we ought to be, then we need to ask, do we know this blessing that comes through persecution for righteousness' sake? And so we'll consider our text this afternoon under the theme, Blessed are the persecuted. Firstly, we'll look at the certainty of persecution. Secondly, the cause of persecution. And thirdly, the blessing of persecution. Our beatitude literally reads in the Greek language, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's important for us to understand that Christ is not talking about something that that is a long way off or simply a possibility for Christians, something that might happen, might not happen. Rather, he says, everyone who belongs to my kingdom and is my disciple will and has and is suffering persecution. That's the idea here. So there's... There's certainty about this. You cannot avoid it. The prophets of old are mentioned here as well, for they received the same treatment. And this brings to mind what Christ said in Luke chapter 6, verse 26. Luke 6, verse 26, these words, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Don't expect everyone to speak well of you. And if everyone does speak well of you, then there's probably something wrong or or lacking in your witness. What Jesus is saying is, is, woe to you if you live your life and you conduct your life in such a way that people never discover that you're a Christian at work or in your neighborhood or at school, if all men speak well of you, if all that you get is good publicity, if your Christianity is simply nice, smooth, easygoing, then simply put, it is not the Christianity of the Bible. We can expect to be hated. As we read in John 15, Christ says to his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me 
before it hated you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And he goes on to say in the next chapter, we, uh, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. This is what believers can expect in this world. And Paul says the same thing as well. In Philippians 1, verse 29, says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you, sh- you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. If we are joined to Christ and, and share in his righteousness, then we will suffer with and for Jesus Christ. And so Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, will be persecuted. It is certain. Now that doesn't mean it will always be in in the heat of the fire of persecution. There's a time for war and a time for peace. And the Lord mercifully certainly gives that time of peace to the church at different times and places in history. But the reality is that every believer in every age, every part of the world can expect persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps that's hard for us to understand. We look at what happens elsewhere in the world, what happens to to Christians. We, We read about church history, about people being burned at the stake on account of their confession of faith, and and they stood fast. And we think, well, that's persecution. We think this text speaks to them and not not so much to us. But persecution is is not just in, in, in this extreme, blatant form For Jesus describes persecution here not strictly in terms of being killed or or martyred for your faith, but he speaks of being reviled, having all kinds of, of evil uttered about you. So persecution may not always be overt and and obvious, but may come out subtly in a spirit of resistance, a spirit of hatred against God's people. And so persecution will often be of a, of a personal nature. We see that in our society, that, that, that there's a rising tide of, of resistance to the Word of God and to Christianity in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our places of education, perhaps even within our own homes. Though we might not suffer physically for our faith, Jesus is saying that persecution also comes in the form of of verbal abuse through words that that insult, that that malign, that that attack our character, our integrity, our reputation. This is what we can expect as Christians. They They will question your motives and your values They will persecute you. They will want to drive you out of society. They will want to ostracize you and sideline you from the public sphere. They want to tell others to have nothing to do with us. 
because we're bad people, bigoted people. And the verbal attacks will only progress to to personal attacks, whether they be passive, such as giving the cold shoulder, boycotting one's business, or active, shoo you away from the, the rest of society, even if it requires physical force. And persecution also involves false accusations. Blessed are you, Christ says, when others utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Believers can expect that people will make up stories and and lies with malicious intent to make it hard for believers in this life. They will conspire against you. They will exaggerate your words. They won't give you a fair hearing. They'll assign false motives. They'll jump to conclusions. And and they'll trump up false charges. So we can expect persecution personally. But it can also come from the authorities, from the government, in an organized form and fashion, as as we seem to be seeing presently. Uh, Persecution is inevitable for every child of God. That's what Jesus is telling us here. And so our goal as believers should not be to get through this life unscathed. Our life here on earth is is not intended by God to be easy or to be cushy. We can expect resistance and expect hostility. And if we are not persecuted, if we are not the object of ridicule and false accusations, then that's good reason for a church or for individuals to examine themselves to see if, if, they, if we are being faithful to the word, faithful to, to the witness of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, woe to you if all men speak well of you. The strange thing is not that persecution happens to the child of God, but when it doesn't happen, As Peter says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that should try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. That's not strange. Expect it. What's strange is when there's none of that in our life, in your life. That brings us to our second point, seeing the cause of persecution. First off, it is not persecution. It's not persecution when we do something wrong that invokes the wrath of the world against us. That's not persecution. When we're unkind, when we're obnoxious or or unnecessarily abrasive or rude, rather than loving and humble, then we can certainly expect foul treatment in return. But that's not persecution. And There's no glory to God in that. There's no blessing that comes upon us for wrongdoing or for being unchristlike in our conduct toward this world. As Peter says in 1 Peter 4, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. 
as in that's deserved to some degree, that you will suffer. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So the cause of righteousness is not our name, but God's name and the cause of Christ. This means that we do not respond to persecution with hostility, with pessimism, with with negativity, or with clenched fists, and stand up for our rights, refusing to let other people walk over us. But Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What is righteousness? Well, righteousness is doing what is right in God's sight. This includes our commitment to the Word of God, to the whole Word of God, to our commitment to biblical values, our commitment to the law of God and the will of God. That will stand out in the eyes of the world. The believer's life is a sermon, as it were, a, a witness to others. And that will bring resistance from the world because that is swimming against the tide of the world. Sometimes our faithful witness will be used by God to bring people to Him. But it can also happen that our faithful witness pushes people away from Him, producing hatred and opposition. Now it is easy to, to try to avoid that. Try to hide it. You just have to go along with the world, laugh at their jokes, be impressed at their achievements, and hold your tongue when someone drags God or his church or believers and their reputations through the mud. Or they say, your personal life and your personal faith should be kept to yourself and and restrict it to inside the the walls of this church and and the walls of your homes. That's okay. If you do that, you'll be fine. You won't encounter any trouble. And that may be true for some time, perhaps, but you won't be suffering for righteousness. Now, besides suffering for righteousness' sake, in verse 11, Christ also speaks of being persecuted on my account, on account of his name. It's the same thing here, but Jesus is emphasizing a certain aspect of it. For a believer can can portray himself or herself to be a very good and moral and religious person and, and, and a very devout person, and everyone will find that admirable. But bring up the name of Jesus and and the exclusive claims of Christianity that there is no other name and no other way to be saved but through Jesus alone. And then the gospel creates offense. For the cross signifies the condemnation of the world and it confronts man with his sin and his need for repentance and his emptiness apart from God. And it all points 
It points to the, the only way to be made right with God through Christ alone. Yet if someone says something like that in a, in a public forum, there's an outcry because it's too divisive. Because the world hates Christ so much so that, that they crucified him. And if you will live the Christian life openly and faithfully, then the world is going to hate you similarly because they will see Christ in you. And they don't want Christ. They want to live their own life. They want their autonomy. Their autonomy, that's a, that word actually is very illuminating. If you break it apart, auto means self and nomos means law. So what an autonomous person really wants is to be a law unto themselves. It means they want to be their own God and they will silence anyone who stands in opposition to this pursuit. And so Romans 8:36 says this, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. The words of the faithful believer. But there's also a blessing that comes with persecution. We come to our third point. The blessing for the persecuted is twofold. It's twofold. First, through their persecution, they will receive confirmation of their salvation. For they are identified with Christ and, and with the saints of every age. And there is hardly anything else in all of life that can make us so sure that we belong to Christ as suffering for his sake does. Christ says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And every man or woman or child is a citizen of one or the other of these kingdoms and Here's a mark, here's a badge, as it were, which sets one apart who is a citizen of God's kingdom enduring persecution. That's what Christ is saying in our suffering. And so it's a mark of assurance for us. It, it puts us within the, the company of the prophets of old who are mentioned in this text what good company to be in. Think of Jeremiah, what he went through. Think of Elijah, what he went through. Think of Amos, what he went through, among others who were ostracized, marginalized from society, mistreated for the sake of God's word and will which they spoke. So the first blessing is a confirmation and a, and a mark of assurance. The second blessing is your reward will be great in heaven. It's going to seem to the child of God as he lives this life and as he faces persecution and goes through it that, that there is no reward here on earth. What will he get? He'll be hated. He'll perhaps lose his or her life. As you 
turn the cheek, as you give your coat, as you go the second mile, as you stay married, as you raise your children in the fear of the Lord, doing all of these things associated with faithful living, you'll have nobody who's applauding you here on earth, but, but you will receive the applause of your heavenly Father. Christ says, great will be your reward in heaven. The scripture speaks of different rewards given to believers when they enter heaven. Of course, every reward is a gift of grace. But some rewards will be greater than others. For some may have received little or no recognition because of their faithful, ordinary, quiet service and, and diligence in prayer and, and devotion to the Lord here on earth. Jesus is saying, great is the reward for those who suffered for righteousness' sake, who endured the hardest circumstances in this world in order to maintain their confession. Those who did not count their lives and their livelihood too dear for the sake of the gospel. Those who were slain, those who were martyred for the sake of the gospel, great will be their reward. They will share in the victory of Christ and his cross, which triumphed over the forces of wickedness, defeating them all, rendering Satan's most powerful schemes, including the scheme of persecution, bankrupt and futile. And that's a great encouragement for us, brothers and sisters, when we see all the things that believers have had to bear and, and the bitterly hard times that the church has had to go through, the resistance we, that we have to bear sometimes seems to pale in, in, in comparison, seems rather mild. But great is our reward. What an encouragement to us as we appear to be entering such an age, being called under the threat of persecution to, to stand up for righteousness and to stand up for the cause of Jesus Christ. And therefore, knowing that we are not crippled by what seems to be the progress of, of the culture war, not in our favor, not in God's favor, when we know the result of the cosmic war, which Christ has won already definitively at the cross. And so Christ says, rejoice and be glad if you are persecuted on account of me. And that means exactly what it says. And the apostles were living proof of this, who after they were beaten in Acts 5, verse 40 and 41, we can read there, they rejoiced that they were found worthy to, to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. They saw it as a privilege, and they understood the hope of a great reward in heaven, and they understood that it was a confirmation of their faith to be identified with Jesus Christ in such a way to share in suffering with him. 
Well, this beatitude brings, brings a conclusion to all the beatitudes. But we must recognize that the power of these words is not in the words themselves, but in the person who is speaking them. Jesus Christ. He not only embodied all that these words say, but he also empowers them. That is, he equips us to live up to them. He, in that regard, he feeds us at his table with his body and blood, did this morning for the strengthening of our faith, for carrying out the demands of our faith. Also this demand. So don't think that you can reach these qualities or these characteristics outlined in the Beatitudes on your own. Can't do that. To become this kind of person, the only thing we can do is look to Jesus Christ and pray that God will in His grace form and, and fashion you to be this kind of person. That's the only way. And if God, by His grace, gives us this kind of obedience, this kind of character, this kind of lifestyle depicted in the Beatitudes, then that is how we may truly, we will truly make a difference in this world for Christ. Amen.